Good evening and welcome to the midweek time of Bible study and prayer and devotion at Cross Lanes Baptist Church. I'm thankful that uh, you've joined here with us and I'm sure we'll have others that will be joining in as we go along. And I'm going to pray here in just a moment, uh, but just a reminder that we are continuing with our plan as it is related to our Sunday and Wednesday schedule. And uh, we will have our evening service as well this week, uh, which is a little bit different from what we normally do when it's Father's Day or something like that. But we're staying with the plan up into July, and then we're going to be evaluating and monitoring things to see what we need to do moving forward uh, from there. Uh, but I thank God for His grace and for your faithfulness and the way our folks have stayed together and been committed in their giving as well as in their connecting and praying for one another and trying to encourage encourage one another uh, during this time as we've gone along. So let me pray and then I'll introduce what our Bible study is going to be tonight and in the coming weeks. Father, we thank you this evening for the opportunity we have to gather together and be reminded of our hope. And I know that uh, this is a, a busy week for many with work responsibilities and family activities and other things that we have going on. And it's a good time for us to pause for a few minutes and be reminded of your word and be encouraged by it and also strengthened and challenged. Thank you for the faithfulness of your people. And we are blessed that uh, we've been able to continue to move forward as we have. We pray for our state and for our nation and the many difficulties that face us. Uh, Lord, our trust is in you, and we know that ultimately all things work together for good uh, for those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. And that's what we want to do is we want to love you and we want to live as a called and sent people. So we ask now that you would bless your word. Uh, thank you for the Psalms that are so meaningful and remind us continually that uh, life with you is about a relationship. And uh, may this strengthen our relationship uh, in Christ, and I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. For the next weeks in the summer, uh, we're going to be in the Psalms. And as you know, if you've been around for a while, uh, the Psalms are some of my favorite uh, sections of the Scripture. And uh, we're going to look tonight at Psalm 138, and then at each Psalm after that, through the remainder of the summer. And I love to come back to the Psalms. I use them routinely as part of my own personal devotional time. And they're so encouraging and they give us insight into who God is, which is most important. And then when we have insight into who God is, it helps us to look at our human experience in a biblical way and in a God-honoring way. So I'd invite you to find Psalm 138 if you have a copy of God's Word, and I'm going to read it here in just a moment. But this series is entitled, The Ways of the Lord. And tonight the message is the loving kindness of God. The Psalms help us gain an understanding of worship, and they're prominent in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, the Psalms appear more frequently than any other book with the exception of Isaiah the prophet. Jesus referred to himself uh, several times in the New Testament connected to the Psalms, particularly tied in 
with the messianic vision and the prophecy about Jesus as the coming Messiah. And in Luke chapter 24 and verse 44, Jesus said, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then in Matthew's gospel in the 23rd chapter, or 22nd chapter, excuse me, in verses 43 and 44, Jesus cited Psalm 110 to demonstrate that David was referring to Jesus as the coming Messiah. And then he also spoke the beginning of Psalm 22 on the cross in Matthew chapter 27. Early on in the church, the Psalms would become an important part of corporate worship, and they would continue as such in the centuries that followed. So I begin reading here in Psalm 138 in verse 1. There are only eight verses here, and we'll consider all of them, some a little bit more specifically than others. Beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. In the days when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. Verse 4. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies." and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. The loving kindness of God. This word loving kindness in verse 2 is also translated as constant love. In the Bible, loving kindness is most of the time used to tell us something about the character of God. The loving kindness is a part of who God is. It describes the heart of God toward all who know him and follow him. It's connected with the idea of the covenant love of God. A covenant is a solemn oath. It's a promise. It's a commitment. So when we think about the loving kindness of God or his constant love in the context of a covenant commitment, we recognize that it is love that demonstrates mercy and forgiveness and redemption and favor and grace toward those whom it has been promised. He says here in verse 1, I will praise you with my whole heart. The psalmist is making a wholehearted commitment to praise God with the entirety of his being. And that's the approach and the posture that we should have toward God as well. Now, the second part of this verse is somewhat peculiar because he says that he will praise God with his whole heart 
before the gods. Now, this phrase could refer to angelic beings in terms of a spiritual presence, or it could be in contrast to the dead idols of the world and the false gods that were proclaimed in the world relative to those idols. And I think it's the second part that is most likely, that he's making a comparison, and the reality is there's really no comparison at all. Because there's only one true living God, he's the only one who is worthy of our praise. Praise has a foundation. It has a basis. And that foundation or that basis is the character of God. What's the first thing you do when you experience trouble? Well, at least in this psalm, the first thing that David did was he expressed praise by giving thanks. He didn't complain. He didn't start asking questions. He simply came to God with a whole heart commitment, saying to the Father, I'm coming to you fully committed, fully sold out, fully bought in to who you are, and I'm going to depend on you because you're dependable. I'm going to reach out for your love because your loving kindness is the only thing that will sustain me. Now, there are several ideas in this short psalm that I want to draw our attention to this evening. The first is that the Lord keeps his word. The Lord keeps his word. Look again in verse 2. He says, Your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. It was Jesus who said, Father, sanctify them by your word, for your word is truth. So anytime we find the concept of truth in the Bible, it's anchored in to one of two things. It's either anchored in directly to the character and the nature of God and who he is, or it's anchored in to the expression of who God is as he has self-revealed himself to us through his word. And his truth, his word serves as the plumb line. It's the anchor for our lives. And there's a lot of stuff that's coming at us right now, as there always is, realistically. There are a lot of ideas and a lot of uh, different perspectives on life and society and the world. And, and sometimes we can get confused if we draw our attention to the culture or we look to the different voices that want to drive us to what their particular opinion is. And there's only one ultimate guide, and that is God himself, as he has communicated himself to us through his word. And that issue is the very nature of truth. The Pew Research Center does a lot of uh, research on various uh, religious issues and societal issues, and they did a survey and some research recently, and they found, uh, not surprisingly to us, that America is experiencing a crisis in both facts and truth. Much of it is tied to a distrust of and a dissatisfaction with institutions. And it's interesting that the research showed that about two-thirds of people say that it's difficult to tell what is true and what is not true when it comes to a big institution uh, like the government. But interestingly, two-thirds also said that it's not difficult for them to tell 
what is true when it comes to a relationship that they have with another person. Now, both of these perspectives can be dangerous because we can put ourselves in a position where we're complete cynics about everything and we don't trust anybody or anything, and that's certainly not helpful. Or we can put ourselves in a position where we trust the opinions of people more than we trust anything else, so we follow their guidance. When in reality, the relationship that we need to be depending on and the communication that we need to be guiding our lives by is the truth that God himself has communicated to us. Now, obviously, every issue in life is not spelled out specifically in the Bible, but I would argue that there is a principle in the Bible that applies to every situation in life, every situation that we might encounter. Why? Because the Bible is God's word. We would say that the Bible is God's divine revelation to us, and it is a gift from him. So we think about it like self-revelation, that he has made himself known to us, and thankfully he's made himself known to us in human language in a way that we can understand it for ourselves. Now there's a passage in Lamentations 2 and verse 17 that is in the context of judgment. It's a reminder that God had kept his promise of bringing judgment on his people for their disobedience. But even so, I think it's great insight into the fact that God is the one who always keeps his word. And listen to what Lamentations 2 and verse 17 says. The Lord has done what he purposed, and he has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He is thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and has exalted the might of your foes. Did you know sometimes that we're tempted to think was when it was made and where we are in our particular era of history? In fact, in the New Testament, uh, people who anticipated the return of Christ were evidently mocked because they were anticipating it. And there were people that said, where is he? Why is he not come yet? And you know, we could have that same kind of attitude today. We could begin to doubt and think that God's promises and that his word and his truth are not going to come to pass just because there's been a long time. Listen, God's time frame is not ours. God is outside of time. So what seems like a really long time for us is nothing more than a blip on the radar screen of history. And if you say that you trust the Lord, you have to trust his word and believe what he has promised. And to say it another way, if you're not completely convinced that God's word is reliable, then it will be impossible for you to develop strong faith. And if you cannot develop strong faith, it will thereby be impossible for you to please God. I love these words in Isaiah 55 and verse 10 and 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God always keeps his word. He's the ultimate 
promise keeper. Beware of anyone who says the Bible contains the Word of God. Because what that phrase means is that a person can sit as judge and jury over that word to determine which part of it contains the Word of God. Beware of people who say that you can believe some of the Bible, but not all of the Bible. Beware of people who say that the Bible is full of contradictions and discrepancies. But trust when you hear that the Bible is God's holy word. It's the word that informs, it's the word that directs, it's the word that encourages, and it's the word that builds up strong faith. The second idea in Psalm 138 is that the Lord answers his people. In verse 3, the psalmist says, In the day I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. Now, undoubtedly, God had answered and rescued David many times. His greatest days of distress were when he was facing persecution from Saul. He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered his prayers. I want you to think back for a moment in a time in your life when it was a particular crisis, when you felt like you didn't know what to do or where to go or how to proceed, and you were brought to the end of yourself. And remember, when we're brought to the end of ourselves, that's the beginning of faith. So when we're brought to the end of ourselves, then we can really begin to trust God. And you cried out to God, and he answered you in your time of distress. Now, obviously, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we pray. Uh, sometimes he, he gives us a, a wait or a no. But even when he does that, what he's doing is he's loving us and doing what is best for us as his children. So even in those times when we get a no or a wait, that should increase our faith as well because we're told in the scripture to seek God's will when we pray and not just our own. Remember the words of John in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14 and 15? The Bible says this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, and that's important, if we ask anything according to his will, we will have what we asked of him. So God wants us to walk with him in such a way that our will is lining up with his will. And when we pray, we're able to pray consistently with the heart of the Father. Now, we're imperfect people, so this is going to be an imperfect process. But that's the goal, to line ourselves up with God's will. And he says that God makes us courageous with strength. Now, note here, it's not the answer to the prayer that is the key. It is the relationship with God himself which strengthens us. So to say it another way, I would say prayer is about relationship. Yes, it's talking to God. Yes, it's listening to God. Yes, it's finding answers to our crises and our questions. But ultimately, it's about a relationship. And the only way that we can uh, go deeper into the loving kindness of God is when we draw closer to him through prayer and we rejoice always 
and pray without ceasing. The third idea is that the Lord cares for the humble. He cares for the humble. Look at verse 6. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. God loves the humble. Now he tells us where God is. God is God is exalted over all. There, there's no one that we can compare God to. There is no one that is greater than God. There is no one who is higher than God. There is no one who is more glorious than God. And yet this high and lifted up and glorious and great God comes down on our level and he loves the humble. Now, you've heard the name, I know, uh, Nick Walinda. Reportedly, he is a follower of Christ. Uh, he is the most watched high-wire artist and daredevil, I would say, in the world. And his feats have been seen, they say, by more than a billion people across the globe because of technology. And in 2012, Walinda walked a tightrope across Niagara Falls. In 2013, he became the first person to walk across a particular portion of the Grand Canyon. And Walinda said he knows that in uh, the context of his faith, that he could be tempted toward pride. So when he does some of these grand events that are broadcast uh, worldwide, after the huge crowds and the media fades away, he goes to where the people were and he picks up trash. He said, why in the world would a worldwide star from a family that's known for stardom, why would he do such a thing? And he said this, he said, my purpose is simply to help clean up after myself. The crowds leave a great deal of trash behind and and I get inordinate attention from people, and I need to keep myself grounded. No pun intended, I'm sure. And he said, cleaning up debris is good for my soul because humility does not come natural to me. Well, I got news for you, friends. Humility does not come natural to us either. We are drawn toward pride, and I often say that pride is the root of all sin, because sin is rebellion against God. It is acting in a way that is self-independent from God, whereas humility is to demonstrate dependence on God. There is none greater than him. In fact, the psalm, psalmist says here in Psalm 138, uh, even the kings praise him. And yet this great God meets us at our point of need, both physically and spiritually. One commentator put it this way. He said, infinitely great as God is, he regards even the lowest and the most inconsiderable part of his creation. But the humble and afflicted man attracts his notice particularly. Did you know that Jesus cared for the humble as well? Jesus had a heart for the downtrodden. Jesus loved people who recognized their need for him. And even if you look at a passage like uh, Matthew 25 in the Gospels, it illustrates the depth of the love of Jesus for people. And he identified with the least of these. 
And we should do the same. And when we reach out to people who are in need, who may be in, be in humble circumstances, we recognize that we are being like Christ, but we are also ministering to Christ. And though God is seated on the throne in heaven, when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And there's a significance of humility in that. And then the next idea is that the Lord saves. Verse 7, he said, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. Now, I love this imagery in this verse, and really in this psalm overall, but particularly in verse 7, this imagery of life as a walk. It reminds us that life is a progression that we're moving. We, we really don't stop moving. We're progressing. We're progressing in years. We're progressing in spiritual maturity. We're progressing in the experiences that we have. And as we go through life, we're also progressing through a whole lot of problems. I mean, hello, can anybody say 2020? We all recognize the problems and the obstacles that we face. But God is the one whose power builds our confidence and he's the one who delivers us and saves us through these troubles now the ultimate thing that god saves us from obviously is our own sin and death and hell and the grave he he's overcome all of those through the cross and the resurrection and then that resurrection power is applied to our lives in the here and now as well and he delivers us continually from our troubles I read about a pretty dramatic rescue that took place just a few days ago, actually. Uh, there's a Chinese tycoon who reportedly is worth something like $25 billion, and he's 77 years old, and he does have a security detail, but apparently they're not very good. And kidnappers made it into his home, and they kidnapped him. But his son, who's 55 years old, made an escape, and they said that he actually swam across a river in order to call police they came in in a dramatic rescue, and the man was delivered without harm, remarkably. Now, that's just a window into the type of rescue we might see in this world, but the reality is God rescues us all the time. And why does God rescue us? Does he just rescue us for the sake of doing it, just to show his power? No, he does it because he has a plan and a purpose. That's why he does it. Why do you think God saved you? Just to save you? To bring glory to himself, ultimately. But he saved you so that you could continue to bring glory to him and make his name known and so that he would ultimately receive all the glory for it. So are you living in your purpose? Are you living according to who God has called you and then sent you to be? This is what God would desire for us. And then he tells us in verse 8, your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Remember that loving kindness that we opened with? It's tied in with this idea of mercy. Uh, the Lord will complete what concerns us. His mercy will endure forever. And God is good. God loves, and his mercy for us endures forever. I hope that 
you'll use psalms like psalm 138 as an encouragement to you spiritually and that you would find as we have in this devotional tonight truths about the character of god insight into who god is a better understanding of who you are and what it means to walk in relationship with god let's pray together and then we're going to conclude our time together this evening Almighty God, we're grateful for your word and for your spirit who is our teacher and our guide. And we receive this as your word, not that we sit in judgment on and determine what is true and what is not, but we receive it as revelation from you that you have made yourself known to us. And for that, we say thank you. You've preeminently made yourself known to us through your son. And even as Jesus repeatedly tied himself back to these psalms especially the messianic ones we're reminded that this whole message of the bible is not a bunch of pieces that's been put together but it's one message it's a message about you and about redemption and about we as your creation and father may we draw closer and closer to you through prayer may you encourage and grow us in our confidence in you and help us to be useful in this world that you have made and help us lord especially through these difficult days to know that you always keep your promises and your loving kindness is sufficient and we pray all these things in the name of jesus amen thank you again for joining with us this evening look forward to seeing you many of you on sunday in person or online and that concludes our time together tonight